name is Crystal Brunton. I am one of the pastors here at Northwest Church. And this month, we are going to be uh, continuing our series on identity. This has been a doozy of a series. (laughs) It's been very challenging, but it's good. This is something that the church needs to be talking about. And today, I'm actually gonna be, this is gonna be more like a part two from what Pastor Peter spoke on in week one. So if you have not heard his sermon on that yet, make sure this week you go back and you listen. And um, it was just, it was a phenomenal sermon. It was amazing, says Pastor Peter, who says it was the most amazing sermon he's ever delivered. (laughs) Today, uh, we will continue uh, in Luke uh, chapter four. And this is where, okay, so I'm the teacher that likes giving you the answer before the test. So here we go. I'm gonna tell you what this whole thing is about right now. We are gonna examine the second testing of Jesus, but this is where we see the devil is tempting Jesus with the promise of power, of success, of status through instant inheritance of the kingdoms of the world. That's what's happening in this second temptation. And Satan lays out this argument that both attacks Jesus's identity and questions the loving nature of his father. We're gonna go ahead and read this this scripture in its entirety, just in case you've never read it before or you're not familiar with it. And this will give us a little bit more context. So let's go ahead and jump right into this. Luke chapter four. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing and afterward, when, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Ooh, I'm gonna stop right there. Now, Pastor Peter already spoke on this, but I just have one thing to add to this. He was tempting him with warm bread. You don't have to miss a meal for that to be tempting. I mean, this is warm carbohydrates, people. The devil is low. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Before we jump into the specifics of what we're gonna be talking about today, I want us to recognize kind of the big picture of what's happening here. Jesus is giving us two things. He's giving us, first of all, a heads up about a specific way in which we will be tested in our lives. But he's simultaneously giving us the answer of how we can overcome that test, how we can overcome temptation. This, this is important. We, we have to pay attention to this because there is a difference in the battles that we are prepared for and the battles that we are blindsided by. If we know ahead of time that a battle is coming, we can prepare for it with accuracy and with specificity. That matters. And actually this entire portion of Holy Scripture could have so easily been left out of the Bible because there was no one there to witness this. This exchange that happened between Jesus and the devil. The Bible said Jesus was alone with the exception of the wild animals and some angels. The, the disciples were not there to record what was happening. Are there any chosen friends in here? Uh, do, we, do we love the this, this series chosen? We know, so Matthew wasn't there, like, Jesus was alone. And so the reason that we know this happened is that Jesus must have gone back and told his disciples and recounted everything that happened in this exchange. He would not have done that if this was not important. Jesus was a man of few words. When he spoke, it mattered and we have to pay attention to that. So what Jesus is telling us through this passage is that the enemy is going to attack our identity. It's gonna happen. He is gonna attack who the Father created us to be. And he is gonna try and get us to question whether or not our Father loves us. We have to prepare for this. We have to ready ourselves for it. We have to tell our children about this. We have to share the tools with our children in showing them how to overcome these attacks from the enemy. So with this kind of big picture overview, let's take a look at how Jesus dealt with this just horrible, horrible creature. In verse five, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So there's some debate among scholars, Bible scholars, about whether or not this is something that happened, like physically happened, or whether this was a vision of some sort. Personally, I think there's kind of a mixture of both happening right now, because we do know a few things. We do know that the devil was there, he was there, in the flesh, right? And Jesus was there. And we know that in the region that they were in, there are high places, there are mountains that you can climb up and actually see several kingdoms all at the same time. But I think the devil was additionally kind of beefing up this offer with like visions of future kingdoms, right? So not only was Jesus seeing the kingdoms of his time, you know, Persia and Babylon and, 
and, and Greece and Egypt and Rome, I wonder if he was also seeing the glory and the splendor of future kingdoms to come. Italy and France and America, and Germany, all these nations passed before Jesus in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Satan was tempting Jesus with the offering of a kingdom without the suffering. That's quite the temptation. Because what the devil is saying is, look, if you are the son of God, why should you have to suffer in order to be king? Why go through the humiliation to be granted all of this? I can give you wealth. I can give you power. I can give you status and authority without the suffering, without the pain, without the dying on a cross. I will fast track you to the wealth and the power and the glory painlessly. Satan in this argument was attacking the authenticity, the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of God the Father. And he is saying, why would a loving father allow his child to suffer so? And how can he be trusted? How in control can he really be? If I can give you this painlessly, surely he could too, if he was really in control. Listen, we have got to recognize the same, same, same exact argument in our own lives today. Nothing makes us question God's love for us faster than when we are suffering. Mm. And when we go through difficult times, this satanic argument, this same satanic argument can so easily emerge in our own minds. Does my father love me? Does he see what's happening here? Does he know what's going on? Does he care? And let me add another layer to this. What about when we are suffering financially and our money is being attacked? I gotta tell you, nothing makes me question God's faithfulness to me like when my money and my finances are under attack. And I, I, I'm ashamed to say that. I really am. I'm ashamed to say that and now it's out there on the interweb and I'm never getting it back again. It's shameful to say that because I should know better, but when my money is, is attacked, it spins me into this thought process that maybe I'm just not smart enough because I don't have this all figured out. And I should have this figured out by now, right? What am I even doing with my life? Maybe this isn't the job that I should be doing. Maybe. Maybe I should move. Maybe I should live somewhere else. Maybe this isn't what God has called me to do after all. I begin to question who I really am. 
My identity is attacked. And so often when our money is at risk or being siphoned away, many Christians begin to question everything they know to be true about God the Father. So are you beginning to see kind of where these thoughts and this argument has originated? The devil is cunning. He knows where to hit us where it hurts. And here in the West, and I I need you to hear this because here in the West, there is a false narrative that our current circumstance is the indicator of God's love for us. That is a lie. And we must uncouple our current earthly circumstance from our identity in Christ because suffering does not equate to failure and dishonor. Suffering does not equate to failure and dishonor because a suffering Messiah is not a defeated Messiah. Do you hear that? A suffering Messiah is not a defeated Messiah. And that is the, the, Jesus' adversary is trying to torment him with this idea that if he is suffering, then he is failing in his mission. And the Father is not in control. And this is why Jesus is so emphatic about rebuking Simon Peter in Matthew 16, 23. When Peter insisted that Jesus would never suffer at the hands of the religious high priest. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus is recognizing this satanic argument that has reemerged that says a suffering Messiah is a defeated Messiah. And it is no coincidence that this attack, this accusation, began as a conversation about Jesus's identity because he was asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? Listen, Jesus, God had already publicly identified Jesus as his son during the baptism. Pastor Peter spoke about that in week one. So if you haven't heard that, you've got to go back and listen to that. God had already affirmed Jesus's identity. This is my son whom I am well pleased. And the minute we get a word from God, don't you know who is gonna come around and try and cast doubt in our minds about the words that our father spoke over us? Nothing's changed. (laughs) That's why Jesus is telling us what's gonna happen. It's the same thing, the same argument, the same lie over and over and over again. So here's my question to you. What is the last thing your father said to you? Maybe he told you to do something. Maybe it was a word that he gave you. And this is a tough question. You know, some of us are really gonna have to wrestle with this. And maybe you need to go to your small group leader and kind of talk it through with them. Other people know exactly what it was. Like, oh, I know what it was. He told me to do something and I haven't done it yet. Or maybe you've gotten baptized recently and the words that were spoken over you resonated in your spirit and you're saying, yes, that is my father's words to me. Maybe you are one of the men's that, uh, men that were just on the men's encounter and you got a word from God and you know it was from God. Hang on tight to that word. Do not let the devil cast doubt on it because he will try. I'm telling you now, he will try. That is your word from God. Meditate 
on that word. Verse seven, therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus recognized something, because even though the devil is cunning, Jesus had his number, he knew. He recognized that that which we worship defines us. It becomes our identity. And the devil, the demonic realm, listen, it wants to be master. It wants to be the one in charge. It wants to be king. It wants to be the highest. The devil's end game in every temptation that he threw at Jesus was to take for himself the power, the authority, the inheritance that was given to Jesus by his father. The devil wanted that. He craves it. He craves power. This is why when I pray, I begin by saying, Father God, you are the highest. Your kingdom is greater than every false God, every false religion, every false argument that tries to set itself up against you. Your kingdom is the one that will reign forever and ever. And by telling, by by proclaiming these things, by proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, I am affirming my identity in Him and in His kingdom. This is important. And this is what Jesus said to that horrible creature. I will only worship God. I will only serve God. So here's another question for you. And these will be at the end as well. What do you think gets your worship? Because you'll find that that is where your identity may lie. We in our society, my goodness, we are constantly being bombarded with things that are trying to take our attention, our affection, our money, our mental space, our emotional bandwidth. All of these things are competing for for us. And they aren't necessarily evil things. It could be your vocation. It could be your job. Working hard, making money, that's not evil. It could be um, wealth. Wealth isn't evil. It could be a relationship. Being in a relationship isn't evil. But putting these things before God, setting them up as a priority over God, that's when we have a problem because that is worship and that is where our identity will be attached. That's why sometimes you see someone change vocations and they are lost. Like they don't even know who they are anymore. We'll see this when people go through a midlife crisis because so much of their identity was attached in what they were doing. They thought that was who they are and it's not. And listen, I don't take this stuff lightly. I'm not talking about this like, oh, this is so easy to do. Come on, people, get with it. Get with the program. I, I have had my share of late night walks crying out to God for his assurance because I go through times where I just feel like a fraud and a failure and 
my insecurities are, are just popping up and glaring at me and I don't feel sure of myself. And sometimes I just say, God, I feel lost. I don't, am I even doing the right thing here? And God had to remind me of something. He said, your struggles are not your identity. And the world gets this one wrong every time. Like we know that our struggles are just a portion of our lives and should never define who we are as human beings. So that means we, you may struggle with your finances. You may struggle with your health. You may struggle with your body image. You may struggle with a disability. You may struggle with sexuality. You may struggle with an addiction. You may struggle with depression and anxiety. These things are not your identity. They're not. They're not your identity. The world, the world is elevating and worshiping the struggle instead of the Christ that overcame it. Do you see that? We don't elevate and worship and celebrate the struggle. We celebrate the Christ and we worship the Christ who already came, overcame these things. No wonder. No wonder our country is in the middle of an identity crisis because they are worshiping all the wrong things. My, uh, many of you knew my Aunt April. She was a member of this, this congregation and she died of cancer two years ago. And I'll never forget a conversation that I had with her when she was really in the middle of a lot of her treatments. And she said, you know, there's a lot of support out there, which is great. You know, there's a lot of cancer survivor support and community support for when you're going through this. And she goes, but I'm very careful about how much I really get involved with it because I never want my identity to be wrapped up in having cancer. I, cancer is just a, a momentary problem that my, I'm going through in my body. It is not my identity. And I really have to try hard not to be known for my cancer. And it got me thinking, the minute we start seeing ourselves through the filter of our struggle, we've lost. We cannot see ourselves through the filter of our struggle because that's not who we really are. It's just a temporal, temporary part of our life. It will pass, it will come and it will go. Our identity in Christ will remain forever. Throughout eternity, it's timeless. Go ahead and stand with me now in closing. I, I wanna speak over you who you are. You are the sons and the daughters of the Most High. And He wants you to hear today that He is well pleased with you. And your temporary struggles, the times that you feel like you've failed, your suffering does not mean that you have failed in your mission. It does not equal dishonor. And it is not an indicator of God's great love for you. It doesn't matter if we don't have it all figured out. 
God has given each one of you a unique gifting to share with the world. He's placed it inside of you. And if you have not discovered that yet, it's okay, you will. But you can know who you are in Christ before you have all of that figured out. You are sons and daughters of the Most High. When we go through periods of times of lack, it does not mean you have failed your mission because our Father certainly has not failed His. Heavenly Father, we establish that your kingdom is the highest that you will reign forever and ever and ever. And we speak against any demonic argument that tries to attack our identity, that tries to attack who we are in you. Father, may we be wise, may we see the attack coming and may we arm ourselves so that we are ready, that we are ready with your words, that we are ready and we are firm in our identity, that we know who we are in you. And our current circumstances is no indicator of your great love for us. That you love us, you love us, you love us. Jesus.